1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery. We are so glad to have you here. I'm Sarah Heath, and my co-host is Justin Gentry. And today we get to share with you Kevin Wright. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to share this episode with you is that it's a unique blend of practical advice as well as a story. Kevin Wright is someone who uh, went to Duke, so we know they're legit, but more than that, did a work in ministry for a while and then went into the nonprofit for-profit sector in really creative and unique ways. And he offers us his story as well as practical ways of making a shift from one thing to something else in a way that feels really authentic and very creative. And so I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation. We've got all the links if you wanna follow up with Kevin in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And let's listen to this incredibly inspiring conversation. Friends, welcome to another episode of Recovery. We are so excited to be back together again and to chat today with a friend, Kevin, right? Who, Justin, would you like to introduce just a little bit? Obviously, we've done an introduction in the beginning, but how you guys know each other? I'd love to know. Yeah. So Kevin, Kevin is one of my friends. We have so many of Sarah's friends and we joke that Sarah knows everybody, but we found someone that Sarah did not know. I don't know you uh, yet, yet. Although I think we just yet, became yet. best friends off the air. So that, it's fine. That is true. So Kevin and I met in college way back in the day and we have kept in touch since actually Kevin and I, we were on a traveling team for our evangelical school. We were. We would travel around the country, extolling the virtues of our college and getting paid. I mean, for what we did, I think we got paid okay. But it was just goofing off for a summer, which was a delight. And so, uh, so yeah, we did have the responsibility of keeping like minors safe, though. That was (laughs) was allegedly what we were supposed to do as well. Uh, uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, we would travel around to camps and perform skits and just be cool kids and, you know, get, you know, minors to sign up to go to this relatively expensive private college and, you know, (laughs) and and take on a little debt along the way. But so that's how we met. And we've stayed in touch since. And he was in ministry for a while. I was in ministry for a while. And we're very excited to have him on with us. So Kevin, we, we ask everybody this, um, and when it comes to people that have been in ministry and so kind of what, how long were you in and, you know, maybe what got you out? What's, what uh, did you serve? What did you serve for? What did you serve? (laughs) What did you serve? I served a decade. I had a decade sentence. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was enough time. And what eventually got me out was two things. One was a curiosity about what else there was out there in the world to do and to try to experience. 
And the other thing that got me out was a general deterioration of my mental health, if I can be really frank and honest about that. And noticing things, you know, going to doctor's appointments and having my primary care doctor be like, your blood pressure is really high, or like your cholesterol is really high, or it sounds to me like you're not sleeping very well, or it sounds to me like you've had, you know, more than a couple of days where you were feeling down and discouraged and a lot of anxiety. And that was kind of a, a, a cue to say, like, maybe this is my time to bow out and exit stage uh, left or stage right. Just get off the stage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. So and you you were in United Methodist Church as well, as Sarah, I think. Yes. Yes. So I we can well, say it. Yes. We can say it here. We can say, um, it here. Can we say OK, <laughs> we can say it. We we, we have, have said so much about right the United to come Methodist. after me like it. I'm an elder. <laughs> we, I'm still an elder, still ordained. Yeah. So I um I started off in the Wesleyan Church, as I think, Justin, you did as well, or, yeah. or maybe you were in a different one and went over. Anyway, Wesleyan group in the Wesleyan Church, got ordained there, transferred my orders over to the United Methodist Church, of which I am still on the books as as an ordained elder, um, technically. Yeah, I've, I've learned so much about United Methodist polity, just having been on this podcast with so many United, former United Methodists. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> It's it's like a master's class. I'm sorry. Um, I just I don't even know how to not to be United Methodist at this point. And I didn't even mean to be. It's like I accidentally became the person. So you got out mostly for mental health reasons and just the the strain, I think. I guess for some of our listeners, I think there's a lot of people that that do experience that strain. What what was a key difference to you between oh this job's hard? Because uh, you were, and we don't need to name the church if you don't want, but you were you were at a very large church doing. You were at one of our bigger ones doing ministry at a scale that that many people don't. And so, what what was just like, hey, this job's stressful, and what was I need to leave? Like maybe when did you cross that line? Yeah, I've had the the privilege or the responsibility or just the the luck to have served at a number of large congregations over the years. And when people ask why, you know, the the sardonic and cynical answer is, well, I had student loan debt and, you know, pastoring a three-point charge probably wasn't going to get it paid off anytime soon. Because um, we went to the same seminary, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I, I believe we, we did. We both went to Duke. And Duke, uh, not cheap, we'll be honest. No, no, not at all. And, you know, for me, it was... In, in the last congregation I was at, it was a very large congregation in, uh, in, in the largest city in, in, in the country and very prominent. And it was very dysfunctional and had a lot of, you know, just very discouraging meetings where people were shouting and yelling at each other and a lot of like backroom uh, machinations. I'm from Chicago. I know how like dirty politics is played. And this was at like, 3D dimensional chess. I was like, what is going on here? And talking to other friends about their jobs where they were in places like working in banks or working in in media and entertainment or working in medicine, I would tell them about these experiences I would have with people at work. And they said, What? Like this is this is ridiculous. We've never heard of this before. That was kind of a wake-up call, like, wait a minute, this isn't normal. And I didn't know it wasn't normal. No, I think that's the that's the thing that is it's not a it's a it's a self gaslighting is kind of the word I want to use and maybe that's not the right term but where I think we spend 
so much time thinking, no, this has to be normal. Like maybe I just can't cut it. Maybe I'm not capable of dealing with it. And we go to these seminaries and we learn these, like I loved our seminary that we both went to. We learn all these great, heady, incredible things. Uh, but we don't learn is like corporate community, like culture, corporate, how do we deal with managing a bunch of people who aren't, you know, aren't sure they want to be there? How do we deal with being not only our boss over folks, but we're also their spiritual guide? Like we don't learn all that. So then you get in it, you're like, no, this must be normal. I, it's me. It's got to be me. And then you sit down with your friends who are in another industry and they're like, I, what are you, what, what are you saying? Exactly. I, I remember one time in, in specific, specifically what was one of the final straws is I had a leader of a committee who had come in to my office to talk about, I don't even remember what. And she got way off topic and started saying things really. And for those of you, I know this is an audio podcast and people can't see me. Uh, I look very Korean, very proud of that fact. And I'm, I'm adopted, very proud of that fact as well. Even though adoption is very, very complicated and fraught. I, I have a loving adopted family. And this woman was like, "Are no joke. She's like, are you sure you're not part black? You look black to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> she said, you know, you were, I know you were adopted. Maybe, maybe your mother was Korean and your, and your, you know, your, your father was black. We had a lot. And she goes, we had a lot of black, black army people over in Korea. Right. And uh, <laughs> that is a thing. There were many Korean women Absolutely. who were raped by servicemen. You know, but also and I was just, black. It, okay, but like I not could, your not your business. Like not your business. This is weird. And it was. I realized when she left. I'm like, there's not really an HR department I can go to who could do anything about this. You just kind of have to sit and let a woman just talk complete nonsense about something that is not even her business. And again, like I went to my supervisor, who actually is who at the time was an African-American. He still is an African-American man, but he, he's an African-American man. And I was like telling him and he was like, he's like, I, he's like, you and I don't look anything alike. And he was like, let me just assure you. I'm like, oh, I know. But it was a weird, weird, bizarre situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, there, you're right. There's no HR department really. And that's, that's so that's so bizarre. It was traumatizing, to be honest. Yeah, it was, it's it was very traumatizing. traumatizing. I, can't, I can't imagine. Like, There's no department to say uh, what's happening is not okay because this person is probably invested in it. So it's almost like a, in a business environment, this person is an investor, right? So when someone shows up, they're part of it. And so then you're dealing with what do I do with this really weird break in what should happen? So if you were in a company, you could go to HR and if it was an employee you're working with, right? If it was an investor, they wouldn't have that kind of access to you. And so there's this like both and, right? When we're talking about like a parishioner or somebody who's involved in the church, not only are they like, they're a stakeholder and they're also like, there's no one to hold anyone of it accountable at all. And, and stakeholders, like you show up one Sunday and there's many churches that like now you're a stakeholder, like you show up one Sunday and you want to meet the pastor, you're meeting the pastor, like, you know, like in, in a lot of churches, not every church, but, or even in larger churches, I was at a large United Methodist church and there was, you know, someone that wanted to meet the pastor and, you know, the pastor was like, I don't know this person's gonna be a great fit for me, but you can meet with them. And so it's like, you know, like how, how are they someone that we know? Like, oh, they've been here like two Sundays. They just want to kind of get like, 
okay, like, so we're going to roll out the red carpet for this person. I don't, I have no idea who they are. And but, but then they have access to me. They can say, they said some interesting things to me. They, and yeah, you just get cornered in these awkward situations all the time, which, you know, me as a white bodied person that, you know, looks like I was picked up out of Northern Europe and just placed somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't have the, I don't have we this microaggression. We can't say that. You can say that though. Yeah, like, you I absolutely that, you do know? look like, like you were like, like selected. I, yeah, I, I don't, uh, my family, we joke and it's a terrible joke, but I'm going to say it when we get together and we do like a family picture, we're like, this looks like the cover of Ariane Monthly. Like, this, <laughs> oh no, this, oh no, like, oh no, no, like, maybe. We just we tr- we tried to be diverse. We went out into the world and we found people to make more people with. And we just blonde little kids everywhere. Anyway, like I don't do the ancestry.com because I'm like, it's not going to be a surprise to me. Like there might be a little Mongolian in there because that's just, you know, Genghis Khan was everywhere, but probably not. All that to say, I don't have those same microaggressions, but still it is so like jarring to have people just come and then pepper you with these questions sometimes it's like this most boring coffee meeting but other times like it's one guy i've met with for coffee who wanted to meet with a pastor and ended up well just meet with justin like peppering me on these issues about like the lgbtqia community and what our church does and like you know our bathroom policies and stuff and i'm like whoa buddy we i like buy me a drink first like this is this is (laughs) This is not like the 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 level of the assumption that we can just be as vulnerable as we want with you right off the bat. And you just have to take it. It's drawing for me. I imagine, you know, for Sarah, certainly as a woman and, and you, Kevin, as someone who is Korean, like it. Whatever I've experienced, I'm sure you've experienced it twice or three times as much. And I just yeah, it's 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 got to weigh on you at a certain point. Kevin, if you don't mind me asking, so your background is that you grew up. Were you aware you were adopted? Obviously, I, yes. Yeah. yeah, it was. My family is uh, Caucasian, of, so okay. I'm thinking of the easy A moment where the kid who told you you're adopted. I don't know if you've seen that yeah. movie, but it's so good. <laughs> we actually got a family picture taken, and I remember. I think this is very early on, like third, three years old, looking at it and being like, "Hmm." Like, which one of these doesn't belong? Something's different here. Something's different here. Yeah. So growing up in that environment and understanding like this is a, you know, a a story that is different than many within how then, how did church become something that was such a part of your life that you were willing to take on student loan debt to, to work in it? And kind of, how did you find yourself in this system that then was harming and hurtful? If you don't mind me asking. I shouldn't say yeah. if you don't mind me asking. That is literally a way of me saying, let me ask about the most painful thing in your life. Let's go. <laughs> well, my my dad is is a retired minister and is is honestly one of the most patient and long-suffering and kind people I've I've ever met. And he has a reputation in every every parish that he served as being just this person of great gentleness and great kindness and great patience. And I would not say that I'm a dad with those same qualities. And I, you know, I think part of it's, you know, you want to, you want to do what your, your, your dad does. Part of it is I have a, I still do have a genuine desire and I'm in a job now where I have a genuine responsibility for helping people and for working with people who are, who are uh, very different than myself. And that's something that my dad and I have in common. Uh, my dad always served communities 
for the majority of his of his work experience that were racially and socioeconomically different than he grew up in like he was and i do that today and i i i love that aspect and and that kind of got me into into the world of of going in going into ministry in that regard so you went to school you end up in this thing then you realize this like this is weird i don't know what to do with this situation what was the transition out what did that look like for you and then you're not supposed to ask multi-layered questions, but I'm going to do it. And then how did you, what are you doing now? And how is that like a good fit for who you are in these days? Yeah. Well, part of, you know, I started off at a very, my first gig uh, out of grad school is this very, very prestigious church in the South and a very large church. And they do a lot super of super large guys, still- super large. It's a big one. It's a big one. <laughs> And I, you know, I still have, I have a great relationship with the senior pastor there. I have a lot of respect for him. But I also knew that as someone who is gay, that that there was a, there was going to be a time limit on my ability to 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 be there, and I needed to make my way into places where I was going to be more accepted and more, uh, more. You know, frankly, this is this is real real talk. When you take on student loan debt, you have to worry about just the, the, the economic factors involved with carrying that much debt. And, and you have to realize at some point, like if I get fired and I go on unemployment or I have to, you know, get a job, make minimum wage, I probably will not be able to meet the loan obligations ever. And so that's very scary. And I think a lot of people stay in, in, in unhealthy situations because of that fear. But I realized that I needed to, to, to move into some different, different places in order to try to, you know, be, be, be more, more secure in my position. Kevin, I have got to, I'm just so fascinated with the idea of as a gay man being in, so Methodism is going through this really interesting, interesting is the word as a Canadian that we use and we don't know how to say it, terrible, uh, interesting situation. <laughs> uh, oh, do you like it? Oh, it's different. Oh, it's interesting. We're going through this really terrible time where sides are being taken and People are being tokenized and the community that you were in and serving, did you feel like an issue? Because I'll give you this example. I was at a very large United Methodist Church gathering, had one of my folks from my community with me. He is a gay man. And so we were sitting together and just chatting and someone kept talking about the issue. And this person was quite proud that they were like supportive of the issue. And finally, he stood up and he was like, hello, I am the issue. (laughs) Like, I am a person. I need you to not, like, call me an issue and just recognize. Because I think the the hard part is so many people are fighting so hard for this thing that we forget that there are people behind that. And that when we tokenize and ask that person to be our, like, here's our, like, here's our gay Korean. Did you feel that within that? Were you able to be open when you stepped on the staff or at the time where you closeted? I guess there's just so many questions for me within that, just from my own perspective of someone who has seen how my denomination has either tokenized or silenced folks within your community. Sure. That's a great question. And I, I was not out to, to the congregation. And honestly, it was a safety issue. And that was part of my reason for moving on to different places. But, you know, as I think anyone who's had experience similar to mine will tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're in a congregation that is conservative, moderate, or, or liberal, whatever those terms mean, the issues that are pervasive in terms of what causes people who work on staff of these congregations to feel unsafe or to feel a deterioration in their mental health, those are persistent through any congregation. And it's part of just how 
churches done in America right now, unfortunately. At least the the, the main line, as well as evangelical churches, I'm sure, you know, maybe in a in a in a, in a Quaker church, it's different, or or you know, but but in terms of a traditional setup where there's a staff, paid staff, these issues are are prevalent across the board. Yeah, in going, my experience at least, going from one place to another to feel a little more secure in your employment, it, it it's almost more like kicking the can down the road a little bit. I don't know if you felt that, you know, my experience, because I, I, whether it's I chose or I was stuck in the Wesleyan church, which is not, not even a little bit friendly to the LGBTQIA community or people that are supportive. I went to the most, the absolute most welcoming church I could find for someone that was affirming. But even then it was like, "Mm, you're only going to be there three years. Did you feel when you kind of moved to your the next place or maybe the last place? Did you feel like it was? Yep, this is this is a safe enough place for me. Or did you feel like I'm on a time limit even here? I guess it, how did that feel for you? Yeah, I would say that the issue was not that I felt unsafe in terms of being 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 out because I, I was out at, at at the final two congregations that I that I worked at. Mm-hmm. The issue was that I just I was no longer convinced that that was a, a healthy way for me to live out in existence. And I, as I thought about, can I do 30 more years of this? The answer was absolutely not. And I would frankly feel depressed about it, but you keep going into these positions because you don't feel like there's anything else that you can do because you're like, well, I, you know, have a degree in religion or, you know, what, what, what does someone do with an MDiv? And you, you get really down on yourself and the tape that plays in your head is one that is very self-defeating. And first of all, that's not your fault. That is natural to think that. And in many ways, the system of religion depends on you thinking that to keep people in. But you know, second of all, you do have other options because you are brilliant, you are gifted, you are talented, and you deal with more things on a daily basis that are harder running a church than you will ever in, in the for-profit or nonprofit world. I'm convinced of that. So what are you doing, sir, after realizing that your mental health couldn't like handle that sounds terrible. Couldn't handle it. It wasn't you. It was the system. Uh, Once you realize for your mental health, you couldn't stay. What have you transitioned into? So I work for a nonprofit that is a focused on helping individuals, primarily young adults, students, think high school age, although we work with middle school age students as well as some college students helping those individuals explore their creativity and harness the latest technology in order to develop their own skills and pursue post-secondary education to help them acquire lucrative careers in the technology and creative industries. And I absolutely love it. it it's a perfect mix that of justice. Amazing. Perfect, it is, right? It's, it's so cool. It's a perfect mix of justice, education, you know, social impact, everything that I could ever want. And I'm, I'm just feel very, very, very fortunate to have a job that I do. How did you find it? Because I feel like so many of our listeners will listen to me like, that's kind of what I got into ministry for. And if their system isn't capable of supporting them in the reasons they got into ministry for, like, how did you find this position? LinkedIn, easy apply. <laughs> <gasps> Somebody teach us. Yeah. Like- uh, LinkedIn, easy apply. And, you know, I honestly had very, very good help from individuals who were kind enough. And, you know, I'll say this, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. This one one person was very kind and said, 
let's make a list of all the things that you do now that you like. Let's make a list of all the things you do now that you don't like. And let's make a list of all the things that you wish that you could do. And it was so helpful to see all those things put down on the list and then to start to chart out, well, what's possible. And, and that list, first of all, is very helpful for me for realizing that I didn't want to stay doing what I was doing in church work. And then it was helpful for understanding that I didn't want to go be a banker. Like I didn't want to go back to school and, and you know go to law school. I didn't want to get a real estate license. I wanted to do something that was still connected to the passion and purpose that I had, which is at its very root, helping historically excluded communities um, yeah. find their ways to equality, equity, and justice. And what, you know, I, next thing I began doing is, is realizing that the work and experience that I had working in congregations was exceptionally and extremely transferable. And you all talked about this on previous episodes. It's just a matter of retooling the language that you're using so that it's not like, oh, you know, I, I, you know, help people, you know, sign up for small groups. But no, you're, you're, you're doing community management at that point and, and you're handling logistics around enrollment management. And, and all, there are ways to, to tell that story that are exceptionally effective. Did you take your resume? Because I think like in our discord where there's so many folks who are like in this process, did you take your resume and write out so that you talk about these? I love that. Those three categories, like things I want to do, things I don't want to do, you know, all this sort of stuff. And did you take a resume to someone and say, can you help me transfer the language? Because I think the, I think so many folks who are in the discord and by so many folks in the discord, I mean myself as well. When we look at our resume, it's hard for us to figure out the language. Did you have someone do that for you and with you? I did have a person help me. And I would also say one of the best pieces of advice that this person gave me was thou shalt steal. In other words, go on LinkedIn, find people doing the exact job that you want. Look how they're talking about their work. Look at your job. Genius. Kind of like draw the lines and then just copy the language, change a few words if you want to. But you don't have to reinvent the wheel because it obviously worked for that person to get a job in the first place. It'll probably work for you. It, you, it, it isn't rocket science and you don't need to bust your, your head open trying to figure this out. You just have to kind of look what's already out there. This is so practical and so helpful because I think so many of us who were in ministry or have been in ministry, we, 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 we own property in like, here's the deal. We're, we know how to reinvent the wheel. Like we know how to start from scratch all yeah. by ourselves. And we haven't learned the, there's a great, I'm gonna look for his name really quick. Austin Klon, I believe is the name, steal like an artist. And the idea that like, you can steal the language around because you actually did that work. You just need to figure out what it looks like. I haven't never thought of looking at people on LinkedIn who have done certain jobs that I'm interested in and then going, and that may be primary for some people, I'm just talking to people who have been in my shoes before where we didn't have to do that before. So learning like you can take the language that is something that you feel like I don't know anything about it and say, oh, this person has this job. Have I done anything like what they've done? You know? Yeah. And I think so much of that goes against ministry culture in a lot of ways, because like we, we, you know, we're the theater kids in a lot of ways. We're like, we we're the unique snowflakes. We're going to go out and, you know, I'm going to craft this unique sermon every single week. And I, you don't want to steal your sermons, but it's also like a lot of people, there's a lot of big borrowing and stealing that goes on and you just don't maybe, maybe aren't aware of it. So just understanding that like, it's okay to crib off someone else's resume. It's okay to like, go, Oh, that's a good idea. And giving yourself permission to do that, even if stealing is like 
the Lord would not like that. You're just, you know, if you're just, if, if that word just gets hung up, you know, it, you're creatively borrowing then like whatever you want to, whatever you need is that, but it's important because that, that is how you get a job in the world. And, you know, we've mentioned this on this podcast before, like steal the, la- if, if you have a place you want to go work at, steal their language and put it on your resume. Like, because then at the very least the algorithm will pick that up because exactly. It's not, you're not handing your resume to a district superintendent and being like, hi, you know, one of my professors, see their, their referenced here. I'm a good person. That's how you use, that's how we probably as a pastor, you're used to getting a job. Oh my gosh. Off of, I'm a good person. That feels right. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm a good person and I know good people that, you know, so give me a job. And, and that still works in the corporate world, but there's not many churches that employ algorithms to do their staffing. Most corporations do. There's not too many, you know, churches that have HR departments, they get thousands of resumes. But it, it's, it's different ways. But I think, you know, Kevin, just a couple of those little mindset shifts is, is, is so huge and, and getting what you want out of life. Because I think you're your position is it, honestly, I'm just gonna say it, your position is so badass. Like when you, like little stories that you'll tell on social media, I don't know if you haven't done them recently or I've, or the algorithm has moved us apart, but every now and then you'll talk about, <laughs> you'll talk about like getting computers for like a bunch of students at like a discount because you just like, you know, talk to somebody, the right people or made enough angry phone calls. And, but like, but to have someone av- as an advocate like that, that to me, that is what pastors, that's what I wanted to get in ministry for. And it's what you wanted to get in ministry for. And so being able to do that, and we want our people to be able to do that too, uh, to find, Absolutely. to find wh- what is it that you got in this for? Obviously it doesn't work anymore for you. How can you do that now? That's so cool. So cool. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. I, I find that people who've worked in ministry have, they have the secret powers. They have super high empathy, which plays very, very well. They're, they tend to do very, I think, well at jobs that require partnership building, strategy, you know, I hate say, sales. And um, sales is not a dirty word. In fact, sometimes it's a very lucrative word. And nonprofits do sales too. It's just called development, right? You you have these skill sets that make you extremely valuable as a person. And you know, I'll say too, I think it's actually easier to get a job in 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 a non church setting. I mean, Justin, you probably remember this. You and I took the same class in college. You know, where we learned to put together a a not a resume but a portfolio, which included like a CD a CD ROM. That's how long ago we went to school. Yeah. Wasn't Stop even it. a thumb drive. It was a CD ROM. CD ROM. Burn it. CD ROM of like things that you you know you had, you had written and like a whole portfolio and the the package you know because of the inability to condense files was probably like twenty five megabytes, and you know if your resume is longer than a page, it's probably too long. 
you know, that's the good news. Less is more. And you don't have, you, you shouldn't put a picture of yourself ever on it. And, and you don't need to put a, like a recording of a, of a talk you've given. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And that's actually kind of refreshing to realize that, oh, I can just put this together pretty quick and ship it out the door and see what happens. Yeah, it's not a beauty pageant anymore. Oh, guys, that's, oh, I, I need to hear that as I'm actually working on my resume today to send out to some stuff is this idea of like, you know, it's not, you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just send it out. Keep trying. Take your photo off of it. You know, it doesn't have to be like, here's 17 examples of how I'm really good at what I do. Here's a, you know, for me as a woman, it was like, here, look at uh, an example of me preaching. And I, I'm not just me as a woman. I think that's a lot of us who had to have like, this is legitimizing the fact that I'm good at this thing that you're not sure I'm good at. Just, and then you get to decide as a board. Now I'm lucky within United Methodism, I was basically tenured. So I didn't have to go through quite the same process. A lot of people are, but I think there's so many of our folks who are in discord who are like, or like right into our DMS or whatever it might be, who are saying like, I'm not sure. Like I'm I don't know that I'm made for the corporate world. So this is so helpful to say, no, you are. You've got like unique things and you don't have to like parade yourself in a way that you might've thought you had to before. Can I say too, also regarding the process, because I've been, you know, your audience, you have so many amazing listeners and they, they're, they're trying to make a better life for themselves. They're trying to make, make a better life for their families. I have mad respect for that. I have been there. I know it can be scary. I know it can be discouraging. And the number two piece of advice that I have after, you know, the things regarding resume is when it comes to interviewing, you're going to be bad at it at first. And that's okay. In fact, sometimes it's good to take an interview with a job that you don't even want because you will need the practice because you just probably don't know how to interview well, right off the bat. You're going to say too much. You're going to share too much. You're going to, to go into details that you don't need to go into. And interviewing for a job that's not at a church is so incredibly different because if you interview for a job at a nonprofit or, or a for-profit institution, chances are they actually know employment law well enough to realize questions they can't ask you. Um, and so you're just not going to be asked the same types of questions that you will be that you will be asked in like a church setting. So it's okay if you're bad at interviewing at first. Like I said, it's a good thing to have a couple burner interviews, just, you know, interviews that you get and you can just figure out what works, what plays well, how you need to calibrate. You will get better with it over time. And you'll learn that you actually have to say a lot less, which again, like your resume, it's less work, which is, which is great. Yeah. It's less work. And, and once you get enough experience, it, it, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes a lot more fun. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's learning a new language and for people that were pastors, again, I just want to encourage you had to learn a new language every church you went to, and you're good at this already. Um, and I, I always want to say, like, you're probably much better at it than you think you are. And and you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't make, cut it as a pastor. Like, well, that's fine. Like, like that doesn't that doesn't mean you're bad at everything else. It just means you were bad at this thing that I think all three of us would say is very unhealthy. Well, it, it in certain ways that it's done. Yeah, for if sure. You're, if you're good at the unhealthy thing that I hope it's probably because you're either in a really healthy place, which is great, or you might be incredibly unhealthy yourself. And so it's okay. Yeah, I don't think it's always unhealthy. I think that there are systems and places and spaces where it's okay. Yeah, but in sure. general, it is super unhealthy. And even if you're staying in it to know, like, I think the thing that I'm hearing from what you're saying, Kevin, is like, you kind of knew 
what world outside of the church look like so that you were able to say, can I function in this system? No, I cannot. I'll move to the next one. I think it's important for church folks to not just hear or church employee folks to not just hear like, here's all the ways that you can like work outside of it. It's also like, you need to have friends outside that look at you and go, yeah, that's not normal because we have a culture of like, uh, oh, who's suffering the most? My friend calls it the struggle Olympics, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You haven't had a, a day. You haven't had a day off in six years. You're doing it. You know, well, wait a you know? <laughs> and so I think we, we need people from the outside. Like you were talking about your friends who are lawyers and doctors or whatever it might be, who look at you and go, what are you saying? And then can invite you into this next space to say, this is not a healthy system. And then can encourage you to say, but you have a lot of gifts that can function outside of this. So I'm really, your story brings me so much joy. Uh, Justin and I always laugh about how we just get to hear from such different people, but this idea that like, there can be something beyond the stained glass window that is also fulfilling that thing that I, we would call calling or vocation or whatever it might be. And I'm so grateful for this idea that like, yeah, you just got to figure out like, what's the thing you want to do? And then like, believe that you can actually do it. And, and there's so many wonderful surprises along the way that you'll encounter that will make you laugh. And it's important to celebrate those. I remember the first time I went to a board meeting for the organization that I work for. And I, both of you have been to, to many church board meetings in the past and bizarre and, and wacky stuff can happen at those. And, you know, my last job, I'd come from a board that was constantly fighting and yelling. And, you know, you have all these people who want to know how much every single person is making and, you know, I, you know, do they deserve it? And then the first time I go to a board meeting at my new organization, first of all, it was an hour flat because everyone on that board had so many important things to do that they didn't have time to be dysfunctional. It was like, no, I'm, 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 I work for <laughs> Goldman Sachs or, you know, I'm a doctor or like, you know, I work for a major media company you know, they could give one hour. That, that was enough to review the financials, make sure nothing was happening, weigh in on strategy, and then it was great. They didn't have time to have parking lot conversations where you start, you know, complaining about everything. It was like they're in the elevator and they're going off to the next thing. And the first time that happened, I was so just shocked that the meeting was over so quickly that no one fought. It was it was healthy, and I just remember like chuckling and laughing. And I had. A coworker who was in the meeting with me, like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm totally fine. In fact, I am amazingly great right now. Um, just a moment of, of pure grace, to be honest. Yeah. I, oh, I, I love that pure I, grace. Yeah, I've noticed that in corporate culture, and I've, I've worked at a couple of different places, and some are healthier than others, but I, I do remember those little moments of realizing this is actually healthier. Like it's just like it, this very strange because I, I the the marketing for the church and again this isn't to say all churches are not healthy but I do want to say like yeah you have these little moments where like wow I'm I feel very taken care of I remember when I was signing up first day I was working at a like this is my first job out of ministry and I'm like signing up for benefits and like I'm getting all these like emails like these are other ways that we're going to take care of you these are other ways we want to take care of you. These are ways we want to make sure your mental health and, and some of it's just corporate, whatever. But a lot of it's like, no, you're putting dollars and cents into my HSA account for me to go get therapy. If I fill out this, like, like just so many like little things where you're like this, this is what people experience the whole time. <laughs> you know, you, the fact that you even have health insurance is, yes. is, is a miracle yeah. sometimes. Yes. 
I was like, yeah, oh well, yeah, in ministry, I would say three quarters of the time, more than that. I only have maybe two years where I've had health insurance, quote unquote. Yeah, and it was like it was on my own. That was that's another story. I I remember two guys. It was maybe after a board meeting. They were board members. I know that. I don't know if it was after a board meeting. Just it was, it was around Obama care time, and just just being like, oh, how awful it was. It was a tragedy or whatever. And I was like, y'all's lack of donations is means every pastor in here is has to have Obamacare in order to stay here. So like you're you can make fun of it all you want. But if I was to do a survey of even conservative ministers that wouldn't have health care without these social programs, like it's the the Venn diagram is almost a circle for a lot of folks. And and that's not to say government solution you shouldn't be off offloading your church problems onto government solutions necessarily but it's just like this is a reality here that we are not paid enough and we are not taken care of in many denominations and so like yeah that those moments of care where you're like wow the the the, the world w-u-r-l-d actually cares for people a lot better in some ways and there's there's other ways it doesn't but yeah seeing the health there um, was so eye-opening in a lot of ways. And yeah, meetings that are like, it, this This meeting's an hour because we have another one to go to. Like, so let's let's get our stuff together. That's, yeah, it's huge. Kevin, as we're sort of getting to this place where you've given us so much of your time and thank you, I would love to hear, and I think a lot of people want to hear, like we enter into this space and sometimes we're afraid that we're not going to know what to do with our own spirituality. And so we often ask people like, don't define where you are. You don't have to. But what do you feel like is a, a thing, whether that's a spiritual thing or whether it's a job thing? What has been the thing that's sort of been grounding for you or kind of helped you through this that is our listeners are listening and going, yeah, I'm absolutely working on my resume right now tonight. But what's going to be helpful for my deeper, my spirituality or whatever it might be? If there's one thing that you want to say is like a tangible thing that someone can take away, what would that be? What has been a practice for you or whatever it might be? totally up to you, by the way. I love that question. And I think that there are people who have different needs when they change jobs. And sometimes they, you know, they might feel like they need to to binge worship music. And, and that's not me, but if that's someone and that's what they need, that's fine. For me, though, I'm, I find great solace in the work of the, uh, the Jesuit priest, Greg Boyle, who runs Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. And I think he, he writes in a way about God that I, that it just makes sense to me. And it's not about, you know, obligation and debt and duty, but it's about love. And so for me, like the practices that I do through work, whether it's, you know, talking with a, a student who's going through issues, offering care to a coworker who has, you know, maybe experienced tragedy or death or, or just, you know, really pouring my heart and soul into a project because I know it's going to help a ton of, of historically excluded populations. Like those, those have kind of become my new sacraments in a way. And I find, Ooh. you know, because I'm a, I'm a Methodist, right? I can't help but use the words means of grace. But like, I think there are so many more means of grace to use that term in whatever way, you know, you want to take it. I think there's so many more means of grace out there than what we realize. And, and maybe even more powerful ones and maybe ones that, that can be achieved in different ways. And so, you know, I, I'll, I'll read just a, a paragraph or two from, uh, from Greg Boyle's books, or I'll listen to a talk that he has. And, and it just, it really brings a lot of solace to me as a person. 
and helps me feel connected and grounded. That's what I do. But you know, you got to find your own thing and, and don't be ashamed of it. it. It's you. It's it's your connection to your work and to your purpose and to, to whatever you believe it, you know might be out there. And, and that's okay. It doesn't make you a heretic. It doesn't make you loony. It just means that that's who you are. And you should be proud of that. That's so that's so great. Yeah, thank you. That 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 is such a gift to to hear that encouragement. Um, that there is not a one size fits all spirituality or mental health routine, whatever you want to call it. That that we we're all unique individuals, and in what we receive as grace. You know, for me, there are things that are like means of grace that are like this is how God comes into the world that do nothing for me. I won't even name them, honestly, because it's just probably people to be offended. And I'm like, I don't care about that. Um, (laughs) But but there are other things that will bring me to tears almost immediately and certain topics and certain things. And so, yeah, that is that is so very beautiful and well articulated that we are going to find what we find and that it's okay. Well, Justin, do you find connection like do you find purpose and fulfillment? I mean, I see on social media. Like you're always in your garage lifting these incredible amounts of weight. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, that must be a thing for him. That must be a thing. Justin is very strong for those of you who've never seen, like he, it'll be like, yeah, uncomfortably strong. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm a little scared, but like he'll squat enough weight. I'm like, that's, that's a Chevy Malibu right there. Like what's he doing with that? (laughs) That's a Chevy Malibu, (laughs) which is how we weigh all things. How yeah, many Chevy I, Malibus is that? Yeah, how many? It's a, it's a Malibu and a half. Yeah, it is a thing for me. I it it is a type of um, meditation. If you want to use that, uh, it clears my head. It, it and there's I think for a long time I kind of defaulted to like the science of it, like oh endorphins and this that and the other, and and that, that's that's a thing. But there are other ways to get that. And, but just yeah, for me, it just there's something about even the physics of it, like and it it's human movement has always fascinated me. And, and so being able to play in that playground and I don't have to theologize it. I don't have to like, you know, like I don't have to go in being like, I'm lifting weights for God today, but it's just, but <laughs> oh my gosh, deep thoughts you know, and squats, but, deep thoughts yeah. and squats. Gym buddies with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Equally well, I, did, I, did, I did CrossFit for <laughs> Nice, nice. I love it. These all probably exist out there, by the way. Guys, yeah, I have do. a whole thing I want to do, like a, a, a multi-gender, like all gender, particularly for couples, CrossFit gym called Equally Yoked. You're welcome. I'm just yeah, gonna. I love that. I'm gonna do That's that. That's so great. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get that trademarked right now. Yeah, I I did CrossFit for a number of years, and in church spaces, it was always weird because like, oh, CrossFit, like, oh, is that a Christian workout thing? I, I would just say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. As it's, long as it I mean, wasn't it is yoga, is that satanic? Oh yeah, that is yoga is satanic, yeah. but they have one that's like bendy for Jesus. There is a whole brand that's like, <laughs> oh dear, uncomfortable. Oh dear, it's worse. If we're honest, it's worse. Flexi for Christ. Yeah. Stop nice. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that is a thing for me for sure, and it's a thing I found. It, you know, it, it was an escape from the church for a long, long time. To be honest with you, and but yeah, that's definitely a thing. So I. You got to find you got to find your thing for sure. And I know for Sarah, like Sarah, you run like all the time, a lot. just out of away from things towards things. I just keep running. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it is a it's a it's a way of getting out of my head as someone who is incredibly I don't know. I think I'm more 
cerebral than I want to admit sometimes. I think uh, the idea that I, like, I love the idea of reading Gregory Boyle, because for me, it takes me out of my head and moves me into my heart in a way that not a lot of writers or speakers can do. I think when someone's done the work and you, like, there's something about, and just the next time you've got to come out and visit me here and we will take you to uh, Homeboy Industries. It is a sacred place to me. The space there, I think I was there for about four or five hours last time. I said zero words. Uh, I just was surrounded by people who are doing incredible things, people who have gone through so much and yet are these beautiful humans. And I, I think, yeah, I think there is this huge gift that getting ourselves out of our heads and moving into our hearts, or maybe if you're in your heart all the time, getting yourself in your head, it's this sacredness to me is always like a movement away from what you're so used to. And so I love that idea of like, yeah, it might be working out because I need to get into my body. So it's like, where am, where do I usually reside? If you're someone who resides in your body so much, how do I get into my head? Or if you're someone who resides in your head so much, how do I get in my heart? And that's like that sacred space for me. That's incredible. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Kevin. I feel like this hour flew by, guys. I'm not going to lie. It flew by. So I'm so grateful. Kevin, where can folks find you? Is there any way they can engage in your work or maybe the nonprofit that you're working with that you'd like to share? Because you're going to be, I know you're a friend of the pod. We just want to know how we can support you and folks can learn more about you. You know, on social media, I'll put up, I'm at Kevin, the letter K, right? W-R-I-G-H-T, at Kevin K, right? I, I don't post on Twitter anymore. I just you know, once in a while, you'll see a story on Instagram of, of me riding my Vespa around or something like that. I am 100% um, into that. And I would love that. Just so you know. <laughs> this is like... and if you want to check out an amazing organization, uh, urbanarts.org, and you'll see some incredible transformational stories that'll just make you go, wow, this is incredible work. The students are the stars. Um, we just get to accompany them on the path. Oh, Kevin, thank you. So good. Thank you for giving us this time. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for graduating from an institute like Duke and turning out great. It is such a great place and space. And I'm proud of having gone there, even though there's a lot of things about it. But I feel like I encountered some of the most incredible people and I count you amongst that. So thank you so much for this time. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show, as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up, and we want to meet you face-to-face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrew Christianity podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party, and you all are invited. Theology Beer Camp is a three-day theology podcast beer nerd fest. It sounds like a great time. And for $50 off registration, make sure to put RevCovery in the discount section. So come thirsty and get ready to get nerdy for three days of theological zest. Uh, That's going to be October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can check it out at theologybeer.camp. 
And don't forget to use our code. Gets you $50 off. We would love to see you there. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, I hope you found that conversation as helpful as I did. I'm grateful for Kevin for coming on. As usual, we just give this ending quote or poem or song lyric as a way of maybe giving words to that which seems unnameable. And as I was thinking about all that Kevin shared, I thought about this poem that I read a lot or this blessing really from John O'Donohue. I know my favorite poet, I keep bringing him up. But he wrote this thing called For the Time of Necessary Decision. And as I was considering crossing the threshold of full-time ministry into something different, I read this over and over. And so I wanted to share with you the last paragraph of that today to close out. May we have the courage to take the step into the unknown that beckons us. Trust that a richer life awaits us there, that we will lose nothing but what has already died. Feel the deeper knowing in us, sure of all that is about to be born beyond the pale frames where we stayed confined, not realizing how such vacant endurance was bleaching our soul's desire. Friends, I hope that today was the beginning of you figuring out what your soul's desire is. And I also hope that you're able to take the courage into the next step. Thank you for joining us here on the Recovery Podcast. And as always, you are more than welcome to join us in the Recovery Room. We'll see you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.